0: Good morning, eh? Good morning. <laughs> Beauty. All right. Um, I, I feel for the Bennett's <laughs> because becoming a parent significantly alters your lifestyle. Um, it brings out things in you as a parent that you weren't quite, you, you didn't really know that this deep evil was in you. <laughs> um, but, but there are things that, that happen. Um, I, one, pati- one particular um, testing deeply sanctifying moment for me Happened, occur, happened to occur when, when my firstborn was only about five, six months old. Um, I, was, I was sitting in front of him at his high chair and we were feeding him food, and um, he had this habit of reaching his hand into his bowl of food and chucking the food on the floor. <laughs> That gets old really, really quick, Um, and I I remember getting really irritated with him at one point, and looking into his eyes because you know at this age, like you could tell they understand you, right? You know they know, and so I looked at him and I said, "That is enough, Miles. Do not." He's he's developed some better control now, But, but. at that time, I said, Miles, do not throw your food on the floor. And he could tell by my eyes and by my tone of voice, if nothing else, that this was serious. And so he looked at me with this, you know, wide-eyed, but it was as if he had no control. <laughs> with this look on his face, that was almost like, sorry, Dad. <laughs> there's nothing that can be done. He, he threw his food on the floor again and I just I had to stand up and and walk away and and when I called my mother looking for sympathy <laughs> she laughed and she laughed and she laughed and she said t- to me that that when I was a kid I was just like that and that I did exactly the same kind of things. I seem to recall the expression um chickens coming home to roost, being used in that, in that conversation. And I got to tell you, I have no recollection of ever doing that. I can't imagine that I would ever be, behave in such a rude and uncouth manner, so steeped in original sin as to do that kind of thing. However, I suppose the possibility is that it may have happened. And I'll tell you something else, too. Um, so often I find it so altogether easy to look at the sins and the indiscretions of you know the disciples in the New Testament or of the Israelites in the Old Testament, and I think to myself, what a bunch of knuckleheads! Like, what are they? What are they thinking? God has told them exactly what to do or exactly what not to do, and immediately they go out and do the opposite. God's telling them, listen. Don't throw your food on the floor and the Israelites go. (laughs) You know, it's like they can't help themselves. And yet when I objectively take the time to look at my own life, or if I allow the Holy Spirit to illumine me, I find that I am capable of doing exactly the same things. I'm going to read a a passage uh, from Jeremiah chapter 9, chapter 6 rather, starting at verse 9. Um, if you'd like to borrow a Bible, we've got some that you can borrow there at the back. You just sort of raise your hand and an usher will, will hook you up. Um, but for now, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to read this. So if you want to ignore everything else, if you want to take a nap afterwards, fine. But for the next couple of minutes, pay close attention. Um, this is the word of the Lord, okay? In fact, I'd invite you to stand as I read. So this is uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse (coughs) 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Let them glean the remnant of Israel as thoroughly as a vine. Pass your hand over the branches again like one gathering grapes. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. But I am full of of the wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. Pour it out on the children in the street... And on the young men gathered together, both husband and wife will be caught in it, and the old, those weighed down with years, their houses will be turned over to others, together with their fields and their wives, and I, when I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes." because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. Thus far, the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Um, See, Jeremiah was serving uh, the southern kingdom of Judah through what was without doubt one of the most turbulent times in Israel's history. Um, Assyria had already come and sort of captured the northern tribes of Israel, and now it would seem the Babylonians were about to do something similar to Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and onto this scene comes Jeremiah, born into a priestly family, and God calls him at a very young age to be a prophet. Um, you know, and he served God's people in that capacity for a long time, until the fall of Jerusalem, and then from some time beyond that, um, his his was not an easy ministry. He was instrumental in in a great reformation under King Josiah, but that quickly faded, and then the last four kings of Jerusalem um, were really disinclined to hear messages from God through Jeremiah. When he was lucky, Jeremiah was simply ignored. Um, But just as often, he was threatened, he was imprisoned, he was starved, he was tortured. Uh, He was known as the weeping prophet because he was deeply grieved for the sins of the people and he was deeply grieved about the impending fall of the city of Jerusalem. And he lamented these things horribly. He wrote not only uh, Jeremiah, but also the book of Lamentations. But the book of Jeremiah, um, at least the message of Jeremiah, is a call to people to return to the the Lord and to his teaching. Because, like I said, after a brief and and apparently superficial return to God under Josiah, the people had returned to the worship of, of Baal and other idols, And they were failing to care for the the widow and the orphan and other marginalized people of their culture. And yet they went on with their superficial spirituality. They continued to go through the motions of serving God. They went to the temple. They offered sacrifices. And yet their hearts were far from God and from his will. And so, Jeremiah calls his people to repent and to turn to God, all the while warning, of them, uh, warning them of this impending judgment from God. And, and so, let's, let's take this apart and, and look at it a little bit more closely. He begins in verse 9 by saying, this is what the Almighty says, let them glean the remnant of Israel as thoroughly as a vine, pass your hand over the branches again like one gathering grapes. Um, The Lord through Jeremiah likens Israel to a vine. Um, Throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, we find this kind of an image that God uses for describing his kingdom and his people, that of a vine. We find it in the Psalms and the Proverbs, and the Prophets rather, and also in the teachings of Jesus himself. And there's so much richness in this image. There's, you know, the importance of remaining in the vine and being part, the importance of community, the the idea of the temporariness of our existence as individuals, the idea of the existence of the community of God being for the purpose of blessing others, Um, sometimes even through our suffering. But in this context, Jeremiah is explaining how God is going to deliver his wrath on his chosen people. Again, the northern kingdom of Israel um, had already been decimated in a way from which they would never really recover. Uh, they were conquered by the Assyrians in, in seven twenty two BC and a great many were killed, and cities were conquered, and great many others had been carried off into exile <clears throat> and At the time uh, of this part of Jeremiah's writing, which is about a hundred years later, the Babylonians were you know, making themselves unpleasant in, in that part of the world. And, and there, this was a, a frightening specter that loomed over the southern kingdom of Judah. But nevertheless, they were pretty confident because after all, they were the chosen people of God. How could they possibly be overthrown? They were, they were God's chosen people. They were the remnant. If they were defeated... If Jerusalem were taken over, would that not be Almighty God failing? Would that not be God breaking His promise? After all, God had promised that a descendant of David would reign on the throne forever, no? But here is Jeremiah claiming that even the remnant would be gleaned, that judgment was coming for Jerusalem. Not surprisingly, this message was not particularly well received. Um, some would have just assumed he was wrong, you know, or possibly crazy. Um, and others might have thought that, you know, you know even if, if he wasn't wrong, uh, even if he was right, he was the bearer of very bad news. And it was offensive and it was not pleasant to hear. Verse 10. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Again, it would seem that God is ever willing to to help his people, to correct his people. However, they were intent, it seems, on not hearing him. Some, it seems, would have chosen uh, not to hear. They, They have chosen to as Jeremiah says, to close their ears. They were so comfortable in their own spirituality, their own understanding of God, that they were unwilling to listen. It was, it's like a, a kind of a deliberate case of, you know, la, 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 I can't hear you. Like they're just choosing not to hear. Um, others, it would seem, were, were so appalled by what it was that they did here, that they refused to accept it as truth. It was just a matter of denial. However much God may want to correct us, we as his people still need to listen. And these folks were not listening. And so, Jeremiah goes on, But I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the young man gathered together. Both husband and wife will be caught in it and the old, those ways down in years. Their houses will be turned over to others together with their fields and their wives when I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord. Um, not going to go too deep into the question of of matter of God's wrath, God's punishment um, as an expression of his grace just because Derwin went into it rather thoroughly just a couple of weeks ago. Um, If you have any questions, you can ask me. Uh, but, But for now, let it suffice to say this. So great and ardent is God's love toward us that God has this incredibly strong, almost visceral response to anything that would threaten to rob us of right relationship with him. And that is sin. That's what God wants to correct and to bring out of us, to to take out of us. So much so that in this case, even children and elderly, usually special recipients of God's forbearance and mercy are not going to be spared. Because as you know, such is the nature of sin, that sometimes even those who are innocent get caught in the swirl and torment of it, which is one of the reasons I would imagine God hates it so much. And then in verse 13, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice the seed. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. It would seem as though all in that, in that culture were caught up in a sort of sy- systemic evil that encompassed uh, personal lives and civil matters and encroaches, as such things so often do, even into their worship lives. And as if Jeremiah's job wasn't difficult enough already, um, even those whose job it was to hear from the Lord on behalf of the people, the prophets and the priests, had closed their ears to the truth as well. Even those whose integrity ought to have been exemplary, even they practiced deceit. And even if they were themselves aware of the problem they found it a lot easier to minimize the problem, to ignore God's warning, and to tell people that things weren't really so bad. You know, to offer sacrifice and to ask for forgiveness, yes, but to fail to actually call people to actual honest-to-goodness holiness. What's more, they make no apology for their conduct and for their leading people astray, and God, through Jeremiah, makes it clear... But they, too, are going to be held responsible for their shirking of their responsibility in this this regard. In verse 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet, but you said we will not listen. Yet again, here it is. God's call to his people to repent. Even as his wrath is about to be revealed, he urges his people to return to him. Note, too, that, the, that these, aren't, these aren't the other nations to whom this message is sent, this message of repentance, but rather it's to God's chosen people. You know, as the Scripture says, and in, as, as Peter says in, in uh, his second epistle, chapter 3, he says that God's desire is not that any would perish, but that all might come to repentance. And so God, he, he longs for his people to return to him, and in doing so, to, to find rest for their souls. He's done this over and over through the prophets, through his true prophets. But alas, again, the people have stopped their ears and they will not listen. So therefore, hear, O nations, observe, O witnesses, what will happen to them. Hear, O earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they would not listen to my words. They have rejected my law. What do I care about incense from Sheba or sweet calamus from a different land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices do not please me. So then Jeremiah tells again of what will happen, calling all of creation to bear witness. God's wrath, which he refers to as the fruit of their schemes. Implicit in this turn of phrase, the fruit of their schemes, at least to me, is the idea of inevitability, right? There's this sense that, that although God is in many ways orchestrating the eventual Babylon overthrow of Jerusalem, um, Jerusalem's destruction is in some ways just a natural consequence of the people's disobedience. It's as though the sowing of injustice and disobedience um, necessarily results in the reaping of unrest and pain and destruction, and Jeremiah reminds them of this. Um, We've got some time, so in a a few minutes, I I think I'll just open it up for some some questions if you have any, but but first, if you don't mind, a couple of of observations. first of all, the the whole idea of of success in God's economy, um, it put me to mind of uh, a scene from from Lord of the Rings. If we can just put that, just, I'm messing with you, don't (laughs) worry. I just figured you'd, I figured you'd be missing Derwin around this time, so there you go. Just joking. Um, No, but the idea of success in God's economy, um, this isn't necessarily from the actual passage, but, but it occurred to me as I thought about the life of Jeremiah that I'm really not super confident that I get what, it, what success looks like in the eyes of God I sometimes wonder if I really have an understanding of that because um, by any normal human metric Jeremiah was not a successful man um, other prophets preached God's word and, and people's hearts were changed and the courses of entire nations were changed and, and, it, and you know, you can sort of see it. You know, Nathan and his prophetic words to David really sort of turned David's life around and, and changed Israel as a result. You know, Jonah, you know, when he got to Nineveh eventually, you know, he preached and, and people's hearts were changed and God's, God's uh, wrath You know, he relented, and and his wrath wasn't poured out at that time on on the Assyrians. You know, they they preached, and and people's lives were changed. But this didn't happen for Jeremiah. His audience often ignored him when he was lucky or else persecuted him. And the result of his preaching, um, it would seem, was really not a whole lot. Babylon conquered Jerusalem anyway. The people didn't repent. Many were killed. Many were taken into exile. What's more, rabbinic tradition has it that that years later, he was taken to Egypt against his will and ultimately martyred with really kind of nothing to show for his preaching, it would look like. This does not sound like anything I would call success. what he was though was faithful and and looking honestly at his life forces me to look at my own and to take a good long look at my ambitions there's of course nothing wrong with hope there's nothing wrong with wanting things and what's and more, I do believe that, that as followers of Jesus, we ought to be living with a sort of an expectation that God will work through us. But looking at the life of Jeremiah forces me, I, I, I have to ask myself even if things do not work out the way I want them to, even if my goals are unmet. Even if God does not move or work in the way I think he should, will it be enough for me to have been faithful? Second thing, um, Trusting in God's, God and his word rather than trusting in our own understanding of God and our understanding of God's word. I find it interesting um, that, that in part what made it difficult for the Israelites to hear from God said about this matter. God wouldn't let the Babylonians conquer them because they were the remnant. The reality, however, was that when God said that a descendant of David would reign forever, he had something else in his mind than what they were thinking. Now, for us, with the perspective of of history, it's easy for us to see that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise, not some earthly king on an earthly throne. It's easy for us to think that, okay, well, they should have known better. They ought to have known better. But that's hardly fair. I need to pray. I need to pray that my love for my own understanding of God will never eclipse my love for God himself. Does our commitment to our own ideas about God, does our commitment to our own tribe, does it sometimes amount to idolatry even? Where does our allegiance really lie? I think we need to be praying that it lies with God himself and not to my own constructs of who God is. Um, Third, listening to God. Um, I can see from this... One of the things that that jumped out to me from this passage is that failing to be attentive to God is a primary thief of our peace and rest. In verse 16, God says that walking uh, in the ancient paths, walking in the good way, is how we find rest. And I just know that for myself, so often I can make the mistake of thinking that peace is something that I can get by making things go my own way, by, by bending my world to my will. You know, that's how I can achieve sort of all is well with the worldness. That's how I can achieve rest and peace. But the truth is that true rest comes from subjugating my will to the will of God. That is the good way. And God knows us well. He, and, 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 and commands us to live according to his will in no small part because he knows that that is how we are wired to live. Even if it seems counterintuitive, that is the way that fits with our design. Therefore, our capacity to experience rest and peace is limited by our, is, is limited, can be limited by our capacity to hear from God and to obey him well. If we can't hear him, we can't experience the peace and the rest that he offers. Um, I was reminded of a, a story. There was a, a grossly apocryphal story. There was a, there was a, a, a jazz violinist named Joe Venuti. And, um, well, that part is true. There was a jazz violinist named Joe Venuti. And for a while, I mean, he he was one of the most popular jazz violinists out there at the time. But for a while, he kind of disappeared. And nobody knew really what happened to him. And um, one, of the, one of the stories that went on about what must have... There were all these stories that surfaced about what must have happened to Joe Venuti. Um, and one of my favorite stories is that um, Joe Venuti had such a sweet sound that everybody immediately, they, they heard him, him playing his, his violin, and they were immediately just sort of captivated by his playing, and they would just sort of stop where they were, almost entranced. And some of the other jazz musicians thought, well, I'll bet you I know what happened to Joe Venuti. He, he probably tried to play for some animals to see if it worked, so he stopped by a barnyard and he, and he played his violin, and sure enough, all of the other animals would stop and they would listen, entranced by the beauty of his sound. And Joe Venuti, must have th- he, he thought, well, if this works on farm animals, I bet you it works on wild animals too. I'm going to go out... I'm going to go out into the jungle and, and encounter the king of the jungle and see if I can stop lions with the sound of my violin. And so he goes out and he uh, goes into this place where lions were known to show up and he begins to play his violin and sure enough, lions come out of the, you know, come out of the, the tall grass where they were hiding and they just walk up to him, and they're just captivated. They don't do anything. They're just they're just captivated by the beauty of, of, of the sound. But then finally, this one other lion just jumps out from the, the grass and mauls Giovenuti, and 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 just sort of takes big, huge paw and claw and jaw marks out of him. And that's why he was never seen for from uh, heard from again. And the other lion said what did you do that for? I was, I, was, I was listening to that music. I was really enjoying that music. And the other lion said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> That's one of my favorite explanations. But the idea being, it's, it's impossible to, uh, to, to hear, to, to, to know the rest and to know the peace unless you can hear And we need to be people who are developing a capacity to hear from God. We go astray when we fail to hear um, that that which would bring us true peace and rest. We can be like the Israelites, so caught up in our comfortable lives that we're unable to hear the voice of God, so busy with our our lives, our our work, our leisure, our relationships, our our service for God even, And, and all of these are good things, but But we can be so busy with these things that we often miss the quiet voice of God that Elijah heard when God's voice wasn't in the the wind, it wasn't in the earthquake, it wasn't in the fire, it was in the whisper. And we can get to a point where we're sort of, we've sort sort of mentally checked the truth of God box. And, and put it aside, and, and in doing so, we can fail to hear the voice of God speaking to us afresh through Scripture, through wise friends, through nature, or, or through the promptings of His Spirit. We can also be so troubled by the fact that following Jesus actually makes demands of us that we, like the Israelites, are offended by the God's Word so that we will fail to listen. You know, sometimes we want a little bit of God, maybe because it seems like a little bit of spirituality ought to be part of making us rounded, well-rounded people. But, you know, we don't want it to actually cramp our style. You know, in our modern world of, of ideological echo chambers, it can be easy to fall into comfortable patterns that demand very little of us, that allow us to sort of smugly look down our noses at others for not hearing from God well without allowing ourselves to be challenged by his call on our lives. However, the fact of the matter is that choosing to follow Jesus will completely rock you. It's no joke. And this is one of the reasons, actually, that we've undertaken this fasting initiative as a community that we're going to be doing over the next five months. Um, We want to be people who are pressing into God, who are pressing into knowing him and hearing him and, and responding to him uh, in obedience, and, and that's one of the ways that we're trying to do that as a community and by the way, if you're wanting to get involved with that there's still lots of opportunities to to, to get involved. You can talk to myself or you can talk to Simon I think he's going to be at the at the back in the foyer. If you want to sign up, um, you know you can do that either online on our website or, or at the back but but the, the, the point is that we want to be people who don't cling to our own comfort. We want to be people who hear and recognize the voice of God and who consistently and faithfully respond with an unequivocal obedience, regardless of the cost to us, confident that as we do, we will know God's rest. Um, and so as we come to the end here, I, I, I want to lead you in a, in a prayer of confession. Um, uh, but I think we'll find it on the screen. Um, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read some of it, and then there will be responses for you, and I'll just ask you to join in when those come. So let's, let's pray together. Eternal Father... Giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our neighbors in what we have thought, in what we have said, in what we have done, through ignorance, through weakness, and through our own deliberate fault. Together, Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us for the cowardice that dares not face new truth. Forgive us for the laziness that is content with half truth. Forgive us for the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth. Christ, have mercy upon us. O God, we bring you our failure, our disappointment, our despair, our greed, our apathy, our idolatry and misdirected passion. We turn away from these things, O God, and we turn to you. We renounce evil, we claim your love, and we choose to be made whole. Lord, have mercy upon us. Let us in silence confess our own sins before Almighty God. Lord, we thank you that when we confess our sin, you are always faithful to forgive. Thank you that you are not content to leave us in our sin, but that through your spirit, you offer us grace to turn from it and be made new. In your mercy, remake us. When we cling to other people in desperation or turn away from them in selfishness and fear, strengthen us in your love. Make us people who serve others well. In your mercy, remake us. And when we would be tempted to allow other things to take your rightful place on the throne of our lives, help us to see the truth and to return to you in worship. In your mercy, remake us. Grant us your grace, O Lord, to walk the ancient paths in truth, love, and joy that we might know you and know your rest. We, your forgiven and blessed people, bless you today and forever. Amen. Um, We have a couple of minutes before we have to be done. Does, Does anybody have any questions? If not, that's okay too. Cool. All right. Um, I'm going to invite the, the, the band to come on up and we're going we're to close in, in song. Um, Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. Make us people who hear your voice. Make us people who, who know the sound of their shepherd's voice. That our answer to you might always be yes, Lord, more of you. Yes, Lord, more of you. Yes, Lord, more of you. Amen. Um, As always, if you would like to receive prayer, do come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Um, Refreshments are at the back, too. And also remember, um, you can sign up to uh, get involved with our fasting initiative. That would be... A great way to put into practice some of the things we've been talking about today. Um, But for now, receive the benediction. As you go from this place, may God grant you the grace to hear his voice, to walk the good way, and in doing so, to find and to enjoy his rest. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Be blessed.